Every time when we're rehearsing a wedding, I always tell the bride, look up or you'll step on your dress. I just proved it once again. <laughs> the canonical of hope, thank you. Your improvement is astounding. You're to be rewarded for the hard work you did. Thank you very much for that. That was beautiful. As it's not uncommon for us, the music sets the stage for all that we're doing in worship. Certainly today on this Palm Sunday, we're filled with the kind of easy release we feel at the sound of the bells. The harmony that they achieve just kind of rolls through the congregation and kind of washes over our soul. And this is indeed a good week to feel the harmony that comes from being a child of God, to allow the peace and the hope that we know in Christ, such as in that canticle of hope, to remind us, even when we're facing difficult days, that we should be, remain hopeful. The song before that, when we sang this, I believe, in the Trinity is the theme of the song. What a powerful expression that is of what's going on this week, because sometimes it's kind of lost. It's so much about Jesus that sometimes we forget that the Trinity was hard at work on this week especially. Now, in the scriptures, the Holy Week, the events that immediately lead up to the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus that we call Easter, are critical to all else that's in scripture. Indeed, without that week, everything else would be meaningless, basically. It's only in light of this week that the rest of this book gets written and remembered. Dare say, even the Old Testament finds its fullest expression in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's coming early this year, even though it's, it's a leap year and we've leaped ahead to Easter, right? We're going to have Easter before, with three or four days left after it. It's hard to believe in the month of March, and yet we are. And sometimes it does kind of creep up on us a little bit as the season goes along, especially when it's this early, and it gives us a long spring to enjoy afterward, right? All of April and all of May before we get to summer. I trust that what this early Easter will do is help us to spring into the fullness of life, to help us to feel the power and celebrate once again the glorious truth that is ours as followers of the man Jesus. I think as we close this series out, some are wondering, and even I heard someone mention today what we talked about earlier in the week. Uh, will the arrows be there next Sunday for Easter? <laughs> No, next Sunday we're going to have loud clashing cymbals and we're going to drop confetti from the roof as if we've all been elected to heaven because that's really what's happened. Uh, just like when one person won one uh, uh, caucus, he got excited. Had, you thought he had been elected president of the world. But anyway, you know, we love to celebrate, right? And that's what today's about. In this whole week, it has bookends that begin with the praise of our Lord Jesus Christ as he rides into Jerusalem. An unbelievable kind of feat in action, if you think about it. And it ends with the story of his resu resurrection, which should leave us, and I think for most Christians it does leave us, speechless. There's so little that needs to be said on Resurrection Sunday. I know preachers defy that logic and, and work forever and ever on their Easter sermons, but what can they say? He's not there. He rose, right? But what happens between now and then has forced most of us, because of our cultural norms, to celebrate not only Palm Sunday, but part of the Passion as well. 
Because a lot of people are not going to return for the part that's in the middle. The coming to Jerusalem, the rising and going to heaven. A lot of people don't want to show up for the middle of Christian life either. They love the initiation. They love the praise of being a child of God. And they love knowing at the end they're going to heaven. But in the middle, there's a lot of stuff that goes on, isn't there? And this week is going to be filled with stuff. You should just be finding you a, a, a book that has the lessons for each day. And you should read what happens on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday in this week. There's not anything that happens that is not done with an express purpose and intent leading up to make Easter clear in what Easter means. It is a glorious moment. It's all about what we're going to share with Kevin next week on his baptism on Easter Day. We're going to have a baptism on Easter Sunday. Right, Kevin? Yes, that's right. He's going to profess his faith in Christ and be baptized into the body of Christ and become a member of this United Methodist Church. Because you see, that's what Holy Week is about. But we mustn't detour from the course. Let's go back just for a moment and put our minds where they must have been so many years ago. As they lined the walk, the walkway, the path that led into Jerusalem, here comes this man they knew as Jesus riding on this donkey, and they were waving the palm leaves. Some of them, not all of them, some of them were waving the palm trees and singing hallelujah, glory to the king. Some of them were grumbling and saying, he, you need to be telling him to be quiet. Quit treating you like that. That's wrong. Yeah, it was a mixed crowd then. It's a mixed crowd this week, and it'll be a mixed crowd next week. When the people of the world gather, there will be many people who still don't get who Jesus is, and the question, who is this man, is still a relevant question for us today, just as it was then. He's writing in. Was he a conquering king? Was he going to restore Israel to their power? Or was he a humble king, a servant king? Was he a blasphemer of all that was holy? Or was he a person who was reinterpreting all that was holy for the people to understand? Was he a teacher, a rabbi full of wisdom and truth? Or was he rather a crackpot who wanted to change things up? Who was this man? Was he a miracle worker or a scam artist? That's what we'd ask today, right? They were wondering too. Oh, they'd heard the stories. He heals the people he touches. And I'm sure some in the background were going mumbling, well, he didn't heal me. He made the blind man to see. He was a man who had the power to speak and change nature, stilling the waters, calming the sea. He was a man who could touch the dead and bring them back to life. Remember the little girl? Remember Lazarus, his friend? He could reinvigorate life from those who were dead. They heard the stories. And yet, they were still waiting for that Messiah King that they expected, the one who would restore Israel to earthly power, to a place of prominence in the nations. And when he was not turning out to be that kind of Messiah, that kind of king, many doubted who he was. Many turned away. Dying? It was unthinkable. A shameful death on the cross? Impossible. The same crowd, some of whom were shouting hallelujah 
to the king would in just a few days shout, crucify him, crucify him. Sound like anybody you know? People who ride through life kind of on a wishy-washy wagon, if you will. Shifting from one side to where they're praising Jesus and then so angry at Jesus when Jesus doesn't act the way they want him to. For the past several weeks, we've been talking about the divergent Jesus. This is the last day we get to follow the signs. And if you're saying, well, it's a good thing because I can't decide which one to follow. There's those going out to the far left, those going out to the far right, makes a good political campaign. Those going up, those going down, makes a good political campaign speech too. It makes all kinds of things, but for us, it's been trying to enlighten us to remember that Jesus was very divergent, just like in the movie, The Divergence. In that movie, if you recall, so many things happened. It was all about this main character named Tris. It was a futuristic society that had been divided into five factions at, at young adulthood. And they took an aptitude test to tell them which faction they should belong to. And everybody should belong just to one because that was most assuredly the straightest expression of who they were. However, on choosing day, that ceremony when they, they actually chose not according to the aptitude test, but by their own free will, which one of the factions they wanted to belong to, and they believed they should, though most of them were choosing to belong to what the aptitude said. There's this one young lady who knew that she was different. They called them divergence, and they threatened everybody because they were different. They wouldn't be categorized by just one description. Now, the five factions, if you listen to them, a lot of these had uh, the great promise erudite. These were the ones who were the smartest. A lot of you would be a part of that group, right? They were also the most logical thinking people uh, in the, on the planet. Uh, some of you might not want to sign up for that part of it. There were also the people called, who were part of the amity faction, the kind and peaceful ones. The one who farmed the land and grew the crops for everyone. Then there was the group called Candor. They were known for honesty, for justice. Yes, they were the judges and I guess the lawyers. Is that right, Nathan? Would that be true? Okay, I'm checking with you. There were also those called the Dauntless. And they were the bravest ones. They were fearless. They were the protectors of the nation. And then the last group was called Abnegation. They were the selfless ones the one who did not value power, the ones who, who cared for the factionless And the factionless were those who had tried to get into a faction and failed and were cast out, out of the protection of the city. They were the homeless. They were the unloved and the uncared for. The abnegation group cared for them. Trish knew that she was, had part of this dauntless. But she came to a family who was a part of a different group. They were the ones who were, who were the uh, government-making people. And she, she kind of had that leaning because that's the family she'd been raised in. But she discovered she was more than that. In fact, in the second movie, toward the end of it, if you've watched the second one already, good for you, then you will know that she passes the test for all five factions. She has an aptitude to be a complete person. You know where I'm going now, right? Jesus would have passed that test, right? 
Jesus would not have been just one of those things, but he would have been all of those things. People often refer to Jesus, and when they talk about Jesus, they talk about him in, in those same kind of terms. They talk about him as being the kind of person who is full of the Spirit, full of the love and the joy and the peace and the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the gentleness, the self-control, the faithful one. They talk about him as being the model human being. Indeed, he came back to show us what it would be like to be truly and fully human. We sometimes make the mistake in our day and age of believing that because we're people, because we're human, we have to be sinful. Because we're human, part of being human means, just means to be sinful. And, and that's sort of true, but it's not the whole story. Because really being human in its best of all senses is to be like God, one with God. In its original form in Adam and Eve, as, as the scriptures tell us, they were all that God wanted them to be until they made a wrong choice. And then we have the situation we call the fallenness. The fallen nature of humankind is to also make poor choices. But that's not fully human. You see, the trouble with most of us is we're more not human than we are fully human. Right? Because if we were fully human, we'd be like Jesus. We'd be kind and brave. We'd be caring and loving. We'd be forgiving and graceful. We'd be the people who took care of those who needed to be cared for. Jesus was all of those things perfectly. And you know how they felt about that? They didn't like it too much, did they? And you know what? People don't really like it today. You say, what are you talking about? You're talking about those heathen out there that don't believe? Mm, yeah, I'm talking about them, and I'm talking also about those heathen that do believe. Because, see, we don't really like all that goodness in Jesus if we're truthful completely about it at times ourselves. Somebody commits a horrible crime. What do we want to do? What's our first urge? Old Testament, right? Especially if it's somebody we know and we love. Somebody comes by and needs a helping hand from us, but it's at an inconvenient time. Are we abnegationists? Do we set aside our own will to help them, or do we a lot of times try to look the other way when they walk by our window? It's hard to be like Jesus, to be perfectly human, fully human, if you will, is to be a perfect blend of all of these traits, is to be wise as a serpent and as harmless as a dove, is to be filled with love for those who love you and for those who don't, is to be at peace with the Father constantly and continually. We know how that feels. What we don't know is how it feels constantly to be one with God. What a man Jesus is. He's so, so different, so divergent, if you will, that we are overwhelmed at times, are we not? This week has a kind, the kind of possibility and power to make us feel very in tune as we listen to all he teaches. And we're amazed at what he knows and the wisdom in his words. And then it comes around to Thursday. And we're amazed that in on that Mount of Olives and as the, we walk there with his disciples till he arrived at the garden, that when he gets to that garden, that he can pray through the night and sweat drops that turn red like blood. He was in agony. He knew what was coming. 
we really don't. You can go and, and get on Google. That's where everybody else goes, right? Get on Google and read about crucifixion. Read about how they did it. Read about how it happened and what it did to the human. And you'll understand, you think at that point, why Jesus is such torture that night in the garden when he's praying about what's going to happen. He says it very clearly, not my will, but yours be done. But before that, what did he say? Uh, is there another way? Does it sound like some of your prayers? Is there another way we can do this? Because this way doesn't feel very good. It's painful. It's hurtful. And I would like to avoid it if it's possible, Father. But if it's not, your will is most important. And our jaw drops. We have trouble being faithful with giving a part of our money or giving a part of our time or loving that crotchety old neighbor that lives down the street. We have trouble with that. Can you imagine how much trouble if you knew you had to die to save me? Some of you are thinking, wouldn't be that much trouble. Not that hard a choice. Jesus made the decision to die for each one of us in all of our sin. But more importantly than that, he made the decision to suffer and take upon him the sins of humanity. So that the punishment and the wrath for sin could be paid by one person. Just as through one man sin had come into the human beings. So by one man would the penalty of sin and death be wiped away. Wow. Who is that guy that he could do those things? And we jump and say, well, sure he could do it. He was Jesus. He was God's son. Whoops. I believe in God the Father. I believe in the Son, I believe in the Holy Spirit, and the Father said in the inspired scriptures that the Son became like us, willing to come and become fully human, to die like us. It's hard to think about that. It's why church attendance is so poor on Friday. It's a sad service. Who wants to come and be sad at church, right? And a lot of people go, what is that Good Friday thing? I once was in a conversation with a good Baptist lady who was at church a lot more times than I ever was if I hadn't been going Monday through Friday for work. She was dedicated. And one night I remember it was one Friday afternoon. I was often in their store, their business, trying to recruit Baptists to become good Methodists. Because <laughs> a lot of them came into that drugstore and gathered there, so I just meet them there, you know, not by accident, on purpose. And one day I was telling her, well, I got to get going. I got to get ready. What for? We're having, well, it's Good Friday. We're having church tonight. Nobody else was in the store. She looked around. Nobody was watching. I got a question for you. All right, shoot. Why, what is Good Friday deal? What is that? Not being in a liturgical church, she didn't really know what Good Friday meant. I said, well, it's kind of Bad Friday, Good Friday, right? It's kind of like we're remembering the death of Jesus. She said, well, that's not fun. I said, nope, nothing fun about that. But you have several opportunities this week to do something not fun. Anywhere on your cable TV, there'll be some movie about the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. If you're brave enough, you can watch Mel's version. If you really want to know what crucifixion was like, I'd say watch Mel's version. Now, I know a lot of you will say right away, well, that's just too much for children. Really? Really? Maybe so at a certain age. How, 
how soon does your children and grandchildren start to know about death and tragedy? They're not 27, by the way. That's way too late. They've thought about death a lot more than you imagined. If they've had grandparents to die, if they've had neighbors to die, if they've known children in school who've died, they've thought about it. What's the most important thing about death is it doesn't have to be final. What's the most important thing about watching the crucifixion and allowing yourself to fully feel the pain and the terror that Jesus went through is that while I'm watching that, I'm thinking, he did that for me. Does it hurt? Sure it hurts. But there's a kind of joy buried deep inside. The same kind of joy that you felt when you except it's more powerful than when you felt it. When you were a young teenager and you thought your parent wasn't going to be able to make your sporting event because they were out of town. And you looked up there in the crowd. Once when you glanced up there, there was that parent who had driven half the night just to make it for your game, to be there to support you or to hear your performance in the, in the band or to see you perform in the play. You know they'd gone through everything just to make you know how important you were. You remember how you felt when that happened? But when we come to the end of Palm Sunday, it will wash over and make all those other strong feelings of support and love seem minuscule in comparison to what that man did for you. I know that most of the world will, they will ignore it. I know some of you have already made Friday plans. You ought to cancel them. It ought to be more crowded on Friday than it is on Easter. Because that way, that way, Easter has a chance to really be Easter. When we fully embrace who we are, when we fully embrace the condition of humanity, then the reality of Easter puts a smile on our face that nothing can wipe off. We should not shun that. We should embrace that. And so... The journey will continue until we get to that place where the question is answered. Who is this man? Who is this man? People will say a lot of different things. But I say, for me, he's my savior. He's my friend. He's my defender. He's my deliverer. He is my touch with reality that eternal life is real. He is my hope for tomorrow, and he's the one person I know I can always trust. I'm breathing a big, deep sigh because I'm in the hands of that person every day, and so are you. This is the week to remember it, to celebrate it, to take that crotchety neighbor down the street, one of those flyers, and take him a dozen cookies too. Go buy them for the most expensive bakery you can find. And say, just wanted to invite you to the church. No sermons, no reproach, just a smile, a gift, and an invitation. That is why we make those things out. Y'all realize that, right, for y'all to pass out? You know, say, well, they'll all be coming anyway. No, nope. no, they really aren't. There are a lot of people in our world today that are not planning to come to church Sunday, next Sunday. They're, it's not on their schedule. It's not a big deal because, you see, Back then and now, there are still many people who do not understand who this man Jesus was. I'm not one of them. 
I know that you're not one of them. And I thank God for that. But we have the opportunity to make sure that some others who really don't understand that get it. In a loving way, we need to shower them with love as surely as Jesus spread out his arms and showered us with love on that day. It's fun going into Jerusalem. Not so much fun getting out for Jesus, right? The stuff in between. And I know some of the stuff that some of you are feeling right now is in between stuff. You may be like Jesus. You may be feeling fearful. You may be not wanting to go through what you're facing. But you know, for everyone who enters into that fear, one with the Father is one who arrives at the other end, one with the Father, whatever that end may be. Praise God for that. And praise the Father and the Holy Spirit who walked with Jesus through that week. And praise the Father for the Spirit who walks with you. If you're here today and you don't know that, you're here today and you haven't yet heard it in such a way that you could believe it, you need to hear it. I don't mean you just need to hear the words. I mean you need to hear it in your heart. And you need to consider making the decision that says, I believe that. I trust in that. If you're thinking about that decision, we'd love to talk to you, to get to know you, to introduce you to that man named Jesus as we stand and sing. If you're here today and you're looking for a church home, we got a great one here, and we'd love to have you as part of this family. Let's stand and sing together our closing song.